Everybody and welcome to another Sonic Talk. Today it's uh, what is it? It's March the fifth, the last show before Music Messer. Can you believe it? It's only another week, pretty much, until then. So we won't be having a show next week because I shall be mostly in Frankfurt eating sausages and things. Well, hopefully filming more great stuff. Anyway, um, Sonic Talk three fifty uh, feels like a big number. It's a big number, in fact. Uh, I want to say thanks to everybody in the chat room, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live. We had a bumper week last week, and it seems to be increasing this week. So uh, thanks very much for watching. Uh, of course, you can see this. If you're not watching it live, uh, check it out on Ustream every week, although what use that information is, I'm not sure. Unless you're listening to the audio version and you don't know about the video version. There we go. I'm, I, I've just justified it. Uh, thank you very much to Isotope for sponsors, sponsoring the show. As we know, they are uh, one of our sponsors, and we appreciate it very much. More from them later. But let's get on to our guests. I'm going to start over, uh, over, over here with Mr. Gaz Williams over in his his garret, his base garret. <laughs> that sounds like yes. that should be Hawaii Five O sort of. Have you got any five string bases to carry the theme somehow? Oh, um, I've got a six string bass. Ah, that's no good. It's mm. too jazz. But uh, bassists hate. Well, apart from bassists who play five or six string bases, bases most four string bassists. Not only do they hate multi-string basses they hate the bassists too so there's a quite a there's a lot of strong feeling about that in the bass community but um but uh with my six string though i've got it with high strings on it for midi bass tracking purposes ah so you use the top two strings as uh to play more midi stuff that's an interesting call yeah yeah so that's my justification so bassists don't hate me Uh, i don't (laughs) know they hate me anyway well, it's a it's a it's a guitar thing, isn't it? It's like you've gone to the other side. <laughs> Maybe that's well, it. I've gone to the other side, the other side, because I've gone to the synth side. So I don't know. Of course, well, uh, of course, Gaz Williams is a professional bass player and music technologist. Uh, we hopefully mm. will have I sent a video in today, and I'm going to play a little bit of that later, so you can explain yourself. Awesome. Uh, in that, hopefully, GazWilliams.me is where you need to go to find out stuff about him. So go to it. Only. Wait till after the show, if you don't mind, because otherwise you'll miss it. <laughs> and we also have Mr. Mark Tinley, marktinley.co.uk. Oh. Here he is uh, in his very, as I've said, he, his, his lighting seems to be able to portray him as some kind of Dutch master. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but it's it definitely, the, the lighting there is, uh, it must be the Glastonbury levels. Is it all the water glinting? Is it the light glinting off the water that's standing around the, all over the place? I think it's the spiritual ley lines underneath my house are just, illuminating me in the most beautiful way yeah man <laughs> so i can do the tuning that gaz does on his six string bass on my guitar now simply by pressing a button oh because i finally got my tronicle guitar working oh what like mechanical uh, mechanical tronicle nice oh it's revelation it's so brilliant nice. just, I've, I've always struggled with tuning guitars and been annoyed with the fact that it's never uh, you're always having to sort of make slight compromises. And uh, if a mecha- if you're making a compromise yourself to make it in tune for certain chords, you always sort of think, oh, did I get that? And you know, piddling around with it. But if a computer makes the slight compromises for you, I've just kind of got used to it being the compromise and sort of um, it's just a press a button and it's in tune. Nice so bit of mechanical action. Well, anyway, Mark Tinley, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll move on to Dave. Dave was looking very perspective. Are you chasing light beams around your studio at the moment? It's gone. I've worked out what it is. If I move this way, the sun goes down. Oh, there you go. And it's, you know, like the Venetian blinds? Yeah. It's the string. It's the string in between, you know, where the gaps are in each of the blinds. So I have to kind of stay in the middle and i know that sun's going to chase me around isn't it during the course of the it's all right it's no longer okay. down the center of your face you're looking it's kind of here and here yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's framing you in sunlight like a sort of lined like up an, with the sink behind you as like well. an angular halo if you like <laughs> yeah for the devil's dave, cross dave spears g4software.com makers of fine software instruments and um you know professional noodler I think I would be fair to say as well. And it, well, perhaps not professional hobbyist noodler. Oh, I don't know. I'm, uh, you tell me. Man with lots of synths. He plays them. 
There we go. That's yeah. a, that'll, <laughs> there's probably an synthetist. acronym for synth fetishist. Nice. There's probably a word there somewhere in Wikipedia that we could use. Anyway, Dave, thank you very much for joining us. A pleasure to have you on. And now we go finally to uh, Rich Hilton in Connecticut, where I'm guessing the, sun, the, the snow is still laid on the ground. Rich, of course, is a keyboard player with Chic. He goes out on the road with the travelling disco supergroup with Nile Rogers and also works in the studio on uh, Nile's various projects, manning the controls and making sure it all gets captured properly amongst his many other tasks how are you rich good thank you excellent your cad is sounding particularly good today have you changed the battery uh yeah ah there we go since what since last time no wow. i before last time and i also did a little signal path adjusting ah no it sounds better today you've definitely uh whatever you did it save it write it down somewhere that sounds particularly good cool. so uh, how are you rich been well had a busy week yeah yeah, uh, well, busy week. Uh, another busy week to come. Um, everybody's good. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Rich, and thank you very much for joining us. I'm hoping you're going to be able to shed some light on some of our co topics. And I'm going to start with, uh, this is going to be uh, a fun one, really, I think, because uh, I've got a great video to play, which I will start with right now. This is time-lapse of the building of uh, some, a studio called Stone Heavy Sound in Burbank, California. Ah, uh, looks like a pair of liquid channels there. Excellent, I enjoyed that. But, uh, really, this was, there was, a, a, basically I saw this uh, as a... Uh, there was a topic on Reddit, which is, uh, if those of you don't know, if you go to Reddit, there's some really good, uh, it's like sort of threads of discussion um, and headlines, and people vote on them. And it's, uh, this one was, if you had 25 grand to invest in a recording setup, what would you do at this precise moment in time? And part of that really was, you know, that was just to illustrate building a recording studio. <laughs> but I'm guessing they probably spent at least the 25 grand before they even put any equipment in it. Uh, um, but given, you know, where we are in terms of the, the way where technology sits, I mean, wondering what... Uh, uh, what would be your first port of call? I mean, should we assume you already have a space at least and um, whether you would do what you would do next? I know, I know it depends on how you like to work and there's all sorts of factors in there, but this is kind of a bit of fun really. So I just thought as a, just to, to get a kind of general trend as to what, what people would focus on. So I'm going to start with you, Gaz, because mm. you're, uh, I know you're in the, acquisition mode uh, having lusted after the electron uh, analog keys even though i tried to provide a, a, an argument for you perhaps you know to to save your money if you you know if you had other things to spend it on but that, I, wasn't, yeah. I wouldn't say it's bad i'm just saying you know there are other th anyway i'm digging another yeah. hole for myself i'm very good at that this week sometimes that gear lust just defies kind of uh, it just defies logic or reason doesn't it sometimes but yeah um <clears throat> With twenty-five grand, wow! And that's twenty-five thousand dollars, isn't it? So yeah, it's not—it's not enough to buy um, many grand, many U forty-sevens. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, nowadays you're absolutely spoiled for choice at that price point, aren't you? You could get yourself some terrific kit. Um, you know, what I was thinking—if I was starting from fresh, then I'd probably get a new laptop with an SSD drive. Um, I would get the UA Apollo, just a little one. So I've got a nice small little thing, but I'd get uh, like um, something like an Octopre or something, some some sort of decent-ish rack uh, of because uh, that, that, uh, that Apollo Twin has got uh, an ADAT input. That's on right. There. Yeah, you could take an extra eight channels into it. Yeah. So have that. Just have that in a nice little one U rack carry bag. So that's just a really nice, simple, portable little rig. Um, a bunch of mics. Some Neumann KM164s uh, pair. Are they pencils? Yeah. Uh, or maybe 165s. Uh, there's Omnis or the Cardioids. Uh, a Neumann 
large diaphragm as well. A pair of Genelec monitors. Uh, so Are you really, in my really. Bloody head or what? Uh, what is going on here? You're like right. a tarot reader. This is so bizarre. Really? <laughs> I've got all this written down on a piece of paper in front of me, and everything you're. I'm ticking it all off as you say. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to have a really uninteresting answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, interesting. it's interesting that uh, you went for the Universal Audio route. And, and your, your rig, you know, that's very much geared around portable. High quality, you know, do it anywhere kind of uh, scenario. Yeah. And I'm guessing, uh, I'm guessing that's a kind of uh, a major factor for you, right, Gaz? Well, yeah, I just, I, I love this mobile rig sort of stuff. You see, I, I often go and work in different locations, so I do take my kit with me. So that would be influencing my decision. That obviously isn't necessarily the right thing for other people. Um, I'd probably chuck an iPad in there. <laughs> Uh, for various purposes, um, and then I connect MIDI to l link it all in. Um, gosh, you know, I mean, a setup like that, I'd need some an analog keys as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how, what's my budget now. Um, I did it earlier, and I was well under budget. Uh, so I thought with the with the with New the car? extra leftover, um, a load of beer as well to spill <laughs> over everything <laughs> i like your style guys i'm liking the idea for beer there that's a great one uh, so mark you you interjected there with a kind of you know that you're thinking very much along the same lines right i've written down all the same things i mean and right down to the genelec monitors and the large diaphragm microphone and ua apollo i wrote down um and i would use a laptop because I, I like the idea that I can just put my studio in a bag and take it to wherever I like. Um, but I think that I would, I would go light on the gear, make sure I'd got one good microphone, make sure I'd got some way of recording things, but I would spend money on the room because the thing that I think tends to let down any studio I've ever owned or worked in has been the room. So I probably would take a good chunk of that budget and make sure that the monitors were good and that the room was good. So, and I had Genelec speakers written down as well. Um, so that, you know, that's, but that's for me to work. I mean, I'd kind of, I was trying to decide how to answer the question, whether if I was starting a commercial studio, I'm sure I'd do something completely different. But for a studio for me to work in. This mm, is that's interesting. I, I mean, that, that is an interesting thought, actually, whether commercial would be different. I guess, Rich, I mean, that you might need be... more inputs. Yeah, I don't know, Rich, I, that, that might be... A, a, Given, you know, I mean, obviously you've had to do this a number of times. I'm assuming it might have, uh, the budget might have racked up a little bit higher than 25 US dollars, 25,000 US dollars when you're equipping a full commercial facility, which has to record a lot of people and blah, 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 you know. But I'm just wondering what you would do. But, you know, say, for instance, you were equipping your place now. Where, where would you, where would you start? Would you sort of think in terms of, I guess it's the same question to you. My thinking, um, just generally is that for that kind of budget, you don't build a studio that can support basic tracking um, because you can't afford it and you don't spend that much time typically basic tracking, or at least I don't. And so that's time you buy rather than time you own. And the studio you own is the studio you do the other 85 to 90% of your work in. And that right away changes the way you spend your money. Right. If you choose to go that way. And that's typically how I go. Now, I did have to put a studio in in the islands that we did shows from and stuff. And that was, I don't remember what the ultimate budget for that thing was, but it wasn't dissimilar to what I do with this, which is mostly a computer-centric studio with some really nice input paths, a really nice monitoring path, and uh, a small collection of microphones, uh, one very, very versatile workstation-style keyboard. Um, back then, I chose a Quark product. But uh, I'm not so much going to say you should buy these monitors and this sure. kind of console and those kinds of inputs and this kind of keyboard. It's just, in general, you have to support your own workflow. And my workflow is 75 to 90% taking place in front of a computer screen either by myself or with some small number of people around me performing a very, very small number of things at a time. 
And so I would build to support that and be willing to buy the other stuff I needed. That sounds like a pretty that sounds like a pretty useful way of looking at it. I mean, like you say, the application side of it, definitely. There's been some interesting um, things in the chat room as well. It's like, and that's something that I kind of, maybe you you concur with it because people are saying, Dave, uh, just buy a ton of modular gear and specialise in being electronic because you get a lot of that kind of stuff for 25 grand. I mean, unless you were buying, you know, original Moogs and stuff, okay? Well, yeah, which actually makes mine really simple. Mine's just one item. Well, it's, it's, it's a few a choice of a few items. Uh, there's an emu modular going for sale that, that's on auction, and I think they want to hit around thirty thousand dollars <laughs> mark. So maybe I'll just make up the extra five. I don't know, out of a credit card or something like that. Oh, what the original? Uh, is that the, what's that? The emu? Um, what was it called? Ah, oh, I'm trying to remember. What's the name of the modular there? Is it just emu modular, or did it have a serial? It's just I, the emu modular. No. no, there was another one, wasn't there? It was the audity thing that was the. All oh, right. The stupidly rare, but no, this is a this is one that's in a university in America, and it's weird. It seems to have sold at one point for about six thousand dollars, and it's two cabinets. It's massive, uh, and then it went back on again because I don't think it reached its reserve. Uh, and I think it's at about eleven now, and it hasn't reached its reserve, and there's no chance of me ever putting in a bid for it. Anyway, yeah, so it was that. Uh, I'd quite like to find an art twenty five hundred for twenty five thousand. That would do me quite nicely. Yeah. Or maybe just go for the Schmidt. Yeah, is that twenty thousand? I thought it was ten thousand. Or was it? <laughs> I think it's twenty thousand oh, okay. euros. I think. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's so we're at twenty five. All right. Fair enough. That's uh, some great. And then I could spend the rest on. I could waste the rest. <laughs> waste the rest on furniture. Uh, some great ones. No, it's quite a scary thing though, because we actually kind of, when we were looking at this, we were like, "Hang on, let's add up." kind of how much we've spent and what we've got and it's pretty scary how quickly things add up sure i can believe that uh not in here because as you can see i've just got loads of holes well all my stuff is yeah it's piecemeal at the moment but i i, I like to get some more synthesis stuff i think that would be an idea some great suggestions in the chat yeah i spent it all on lights that's right um there definitely uh, some great stuff in the <laughs> cause in the chat room says i would spend uh let's see if i can get to I'd pay 25k for a motivational counsellor to encourage me to use my gear every day. I quite like that one. And uh, John Van Eaton in the chat room was saying that uh, it would probably cost him 25 grand just to just to cable his uh, his current studio. I know he's got a lot of synths and what have you. So yeah, it's interesting it w how far it would go. But I'm I think I'd probably go. For, I, I I think myself. I know this is sounding a bit like an Apollo Universal Audio endorsement thing, but they are very attractive-looking items. I know Robbie uh, Bronimum just bought himself a, an Apollo unit so he could have inserts on recording as well because he's got a load of Universal Audio stuff anyway. So, yeah, uh, uh, Red Walks in the chat room says, apparently, um, uh, Hans, Nolan Eric, says that you need to spend the same amount on the gear as you do for the room treatment i'm not sure i would necessarily agree with yeah, that no i tend to agree with that you i would. think you need to spend a lot of money on room treatment right well it depends if you're recording or mixing in it i guess because you can learn to get around the foibles you could learn at the foibles of a room in terms of mixing you can't do anything about them if you record them i suppose right yeah mm. okay i can see there's some skepticism there but still, <laughs> if you get the opportunity, uh, let me see, I think I've got the uh, over here, yeah, the Reddit here. So if you go to reddit.com, uh, if you had 25 grand to invest, um, yeah, uh, there, there's basically uh, a lot of people just seem to have spent it all on either a massive computer and a mic <laughs> or room treatment, as you say. So I think that's mixed, but it's an it'd be an interesting exercise. I mean, here's, a, here's a more interesting question. Has everybody gone? What, gone where? Has everybody said that? Yes, I think that, yes, they have, yes. Aren't, everyone's answered. Because I was looking at this, when I first saw this, I thought if I had a minimum amount of money to spend on starting a new studio, what would I do? So what would you do if you had $1,000 to start a new studio? And I'll answer first. I would go on eBay and I would look at a Pro Tools 4 or 5 system and I'd go and buy an ancient Mac computer for 50 quid and I'd buy all the DigiDesign 
audio interfaces and I'd get hold of all the software I needed and everything and I'd be running the same system that I recorded Duran with in 2000 which cost <laughs> 20,000 quid then and I reckon I could buy that for well under a thousand dollars now so if people are ever complaining that they can't afford the gear to buy or to buy the gear to make records I think you know go back a few iterations in those things and there's some unbelievably powerful recording tools out there that people can buy for absolute pennies now yeah i, I just wonder what a kind of mix plus system or something like that for pro tools would cost these Nothing. days Not, they're, yeah, they're on ebay for pennies yeah that's an interesting idea i think that's quite a good approach actually then you got all the all that money saved for um treating your room <laughs> or buying yeah, beer and then I guess. the other thing is those computers fall over as soon as you try and connect them to the internet so if you try and browse anything on Internet Explorer version 1 or something, and you go on a website, it crashes. So it's going to keep you off the internet, and it's going to keep you making music. <laughs> that is a great idea, Mark. I like what you're saying there, even though it would obviously mean it wouldn't be possible for us to enjoy this uh, fabulous modern well, technology. Well, you do that on your iPhone, then. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could. Or your iPad, Gaz, because you're using your iPad for that, which I have to say, the camera on that is... All... Are you on the iPad today? No, not... Oh. No. No, no, my iPad has mysteriously stopped working on the internet. Can't can't get it to connect to the internet for, I no idea what's going on with it. How curious! Mm, most curious. Tried well, everything. Answers on a postcard, everybody. Yeah. Is your um, <laughs> is your Wi-Fi symbol grayed out? No, it connects, but it just doesn't go. It won't go online. It just it's really strange. I've got another iPad, and that goes online fine. So it maybe just, you need to re totally reset it. Reboot I and reinstall. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know what to say. Anyway, um, that was kind of a fun topic, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we managed to uh, get it in. So uh, I think what we'll do now is we'll say a thank you to our sponsors as we're about, uh, it's nearly entering half past four, so it feels about an appropriate time. So if you need to make a cup of tea or, you know, get up and walk around, stop the, uh, stop the blood from non circulating, there's a rich drinking his coffee there. I'll do the ad now. So, I want to say thank you to uh, Isotope for their sponsorship of the show. Obviously, uh, this is a new product that we're looking at today, or not new, new to the new to the show in terms of sponsorship. Alloy 2 Essential Mixing Tools gives you futuristic tools, fast results, and most importantly, a fantastic sound. You can hear results immediately with zero latency performance. You can get six powerful tools in one integrated plug-in equalizer, dynamics, exciter, DSer, transient shaper, and limiter. Plenty of presets, over 250 with a wealth of advanced controls to further tweak. Multiband transient shape, shaper, which means you can do some really clever stuff with uh, like taking reverb off a boomy kick drum, that sort of thing. A visual feedback, you can vis visualize your mixing decisions with rich meter displays to guide the way. And also, uh, they want to let you know there's an isotope mixing guide actually on online they have a 70 page plus mixing guide it's called mixing with isotope filled with tips and tricks for hobbyists and pros alike available now for isotope.com if you want to check out isotope alloy then do so at isotope.com forward slash alloy as with many of their plugins you get a free fully functional 10-day demo to kind of assess it which is extremely dangerous because once you try these things you tend to kind of think mm, i'm not sure if i can live without that and that's just the way it goes it's what you call brilliant marketing i guess and of course the choice of choosing us as a partner. <laughs> Gosh, I sound like I'm really uh, under that. Anyway, so, uh, right, okay, best EQ for dance music. This was kind of interesting. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it wasn't, I wasn't really thinking about this necessarily for dance music. There we go. This was a, on Attack magazine, which you haven't seen. It's actually great, um, a great property, a web property. It's got a lot of interesting articles here. I, I didn't read the fully thing. It was more of a stimulant for uh, the, the idea of, you know, what kind of EQs you maybe reach for, because they all have different purposes. Obviously, you know, you've got dance music, ones might be something that specializes in dealing with bottom end whereas you know uh, other recording eqs might be something that's corrective that helps you to kind of notch out certain frequencies though so there are very different there are sort of more forensic review uh, eqs and there are more sort of just generally smiley interesting sort of like pull text just make everything sound lovely you know sort of eqs and i just wondered uh, what people were using it doesn't necessarily have to be hardware uh, it could be software, um, and I guess because with lots of emulations going on, I know uh, it depends on what you're going with. Um, so, Rich, I was going to come to you and uh, ask you, what did you think? Ah, oh, sorry, that's my fault because I muted everything for a while. <laughs> I was going to ask, yes, I'll ask you now again. Um, yeah, what kind of EQs do you tend to reach for? I mean, do you have hardware EQs that you use much? 
I do have a rack of uh, API 550 uh, A's that are absolutely gorgeous. And I rarely but occasionally use them um, on input. But not often after the, the stuff is in the box. At that point, I tend to work in the box. And when I do, well, even if I don't, I have in the room NeVQ, API-EQ. Um, I, I, I have a couple of Pultec filters. Um, do you, and would, and, would, would, would you say the API is, is a, like a, a curative EQ or you, you'd use it for sort of cutting stuff out more in that instance or would you use it for... No, API is a profound EQ. A profound EQ. Is clearly heard upon immediate clickage on the <laughs> plus three knob. As soon as you get the plus six, it's like, whoa, hey, that's a lot, you know, and then you start dialing around frequencies. Um, it's a wonderful EQ. And what, what shocked me about their list as relates to dance EQ is that they didn't have a single Neve or Neve-derived style EQ in there. They start with SSL, which is fine, because SSL, I believe they went with E-Series, which has a certain romance. And yeah, it sounds great. Um, it's not similar to Neve, but it's another wonderful flavor that everybody's used and loved. And... Uh, the Pultec they included. They included the uh, Voice of God, which I thought was pretty interesting because it is a very cool kind of bass That's EQ. The little lab thing. thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I, I do uh, use an emulation of that and like it sometimes. Um, it's, it, it's almost like an exciter, isn't it? The vo I, I reviewed the, the, the UAD plugin, and I'm guessing it has a similar principle. And, and it does that thing where it just sort of seems to bulk you up <laughs> if you're doing voiceover stuff because that was the original usage for it wasn't it it was used for voiceover work voice of god so everybody would sound kind of like really yeah i mean it doesn't work on this mic um or i haven't got a voice of god anyway but it doesn't it, and it adds that kind of extra but it, it's also used for um bringing dialing in these kind of subharmonics to bottom end as well and you use it on kicks i have used it on kicks yes it does add a lot of sub in there. That's got sometimes. Mm. You can control how much you're adding, and you can find the frequency you like, and it's actually very cool in a way. It's it's really just feels like a really sort of broad hill to me, in the EQ, uh, and uh, sometimes you like that, and, and then it kind of peaks as you. It, it's interesting. It's almost like it changes. I think most EQs do change shape as you increase their. Uh, they get narrower usually as you mm. increase the amounts. Um, they're not necessarily staying the same shape throughout their travel when they're in hardware or hardware emulations. I, I don't know about that one. Yes, I've used it on kick drums. Right, okay. I mean, well, the interesting thing is, I guess, when you're working in the box, you've got the ability to work uh, much more with the program material, whereas obviously hardware, you kind of go, right dial it in and and whatever's going through it even if it's tuned and the and the and the fundamental is changing you don't really get to do that unless you're working in the box i mean are you using emulations in the box more or you do you find you're using you know bits of custom software designed eqs as well um well one well i use both in either and it's not really dependent to me on what the gui looks like just because it's painted like a poltec doesn't necessarily I mean, it sort of suggests something to me about the way you might use it, but it doesn't really suggest uh, what I'm going to do with it. Um, I just recently got uh, a new active EQ by McDSP that really interests me because you can make things, the action of the EQ threshold dependent. And for certain kinds of uh, sounds that change their character as they go into different ranges, particularly vocals, I'm very interested to try this thing. Mm. I just good. got it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've seen some pretty good um, some tutorials. I think we might have covered it with active EQs in the past, but I've never used them myself. Um, but then I'm not sort of recording so much. Gaz, uh, I'm glad to see you in the chat room. You're getting some uh, networking advice on how to get your iPad on the go. But for the time being, I mean, EQ wise, do you have any outboard EQ that you're using? Because I mean, we all used to have mixing desks that had EQ on, but now we don't really have those anymore, do we? <coughs> I don't know what I was looking around for, looking for something, but no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, I used to. Um, no, I, I'm mostly in the box, really. Um, 
use a little bit of input filtering, uh, you know, low pass, fil- uh, sorry, um, low cuts and, and the like on the way in. Um, but I've got various favorites within the, the, the digital domain. Um, uh, like, uh, well, hmm, without sounding like a, a shill for Isotope, uh, I love Isotope uh, alloy on tracking and also uh, ozone which I use exclusively for mastering. Uh, also, um, Surfer EQ, I think, is brilliant. I really like that. I think it's a, that's the, the pitch tracking EQ. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You were great yeah, for basses, I'd imagine, as well. It's great for bass. It's great for, it's great for lots of things if you just want it to be present in the mix because it will follow, it follows, you know, you, whatever, whatever part of that sound you want to come out of the mix you put a little boost, or indeed a cut if you wanted to kind of um, do it that way around. But uh, it moves, it pitch tracks. So, so that, so say for instance, uh, you know, bass is a good example there. So the bass, a bass line, and you want it to be rich and juicy, like really juicy sounding. And then, uh, obviously, with a traditional EQ, that juiciness is is just highlighted when the bass is played. You know, you try and maybe dial it into the sort of the the root of the of the key that you're working in but if you're working in music that's got lots of key changes and the like you know that's the surfer eq is great because it just keeps on it, it keeps moving it around um so i i find that to be really interesting um what i was going to say though i've used a lot of hardware over the years and um one of the things i really like with hardware is the narrowing of the options you know to prevent you from entering the realm of infinite adjustability as as i always call it um so like using a, a manly massive passive for instance with these huge big chunky you know controls clock 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 you know you've only got limited choices so you set it listen you know maybe just clock uh and that restriction of choices and then you know they're very well chosen frequencies that you adjust but just just those yeah kind of motion it, it, it's it's very good because you kind of retain perspective on what you're doing you know when you grab hold of like a graphic thing on the computer and start moving it around you yeah, know you get lost can't you very quickly i suppose yeah yeah you lose you know and maintaining perspective of what you're actually trying to do uh-huh. is uh, is crucial yeah yeah, I think that's a very valid point. Dave, What, um, what, where do you tend to kind of go for? Because, I mean, you do quite a lot of uh, demos for synths and what have you. You know, you, you are tracking quite a lot of music day-to-day as well as, you know, and presumably, uh, certainly for creating the, the sounds for some of the stuff that you do, there might need to be a bit of EQ going on there as well. I mean, where do you tend to go for it? Uh, everything I do is in the box. I don't think I've got one single... In fact, the only piece of EQ, hardboard... Uh, Hardware piece of EQ I've got is a fixed filter bank on the on the um, modular, which I'm kind of not wild about at the minute. I don't know. Maybe I'll get used to it. Everything I do is in the box. Right. Uh, Cambridge EQ. I'm actually loads of UAD stuff. Right. And as Gaz says, a lot of um, isotope stuff. Ozone five, the equalizer on that, I absolutely adore. It's just got a really nice sound. Loads of controls. Uh, the mid and side stuff's brilliant. Uh, and everything else is UA, the Pultec Pro, the Cambridge EQ, I've always considered like a surgical EQ. So if Is that I'm the one that's like the Sony Oxford on, stuff? Cambridge yeah, EQ. Yeah, if I'm working on samples and stuff like that and I just have to kind of shave little pieces off, that's what I tend to go to. If I want to warm stuff up, Pultec Pro, there's the Helios 69 I've got here, the, UA, uh, the Neve 1081. And there's also a Neve channel strip thing they've got, the 88RS, which I tend to use quite a lot. So, yeah, everything pretty much in the box. And the great thing about it is, is the, the thing I love about synthesis is if you need to make any changes to a synth, you can do it totally within the instrument itself. Yeah, in a lot of cases. So actually, yeah. yeah, it's generally, you know, when I'm creating sample libraries or doing sound design for somebody else that I'll then have to get, you know, particularly surgical. Right. No, that's an interesting point. Uh, what about you, Mark? I mean, I'm guessing, you know, you, you're very much in the box too. I don't know that you've got any actual hardware EQ at all. I mean, I know, I don't think I have. I've oh. got one hardware EQ, um, which I've had 
Oh, no, well, actually, I haven't had it since I was 16. It's the same thing I had when I was 16. It's a friend of mine at school, a lad called Scott Brynan, used to make these treble boosters, which has a BC-109 transistor in it, and it was built on one of those Roger Penfold electronic musical projects. So that's the only thing I've got, and I don't really use it. Uh, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a period piece. Um, I'm in the box. It's, it's all in the box. I mean, for me, the, the, what I need to do with EQ, I've already heard what I want to do with the sound. If I want to do something with the sound, I can already, already hear that I either want to enhance things that are inherent in the sound or there's something in the sound that I want to get rid of. So I like very good digital precision kind of EQs. So, and most of the uh, digital audio workstations have got something that covers that ground. So if I'm playing around in Ableton now, there's... Uh, Pretty good EQs in Ableton. If there, if I can't find what I'm looking for, I can always load a VST or I could go into Max. Um, I, I have to agree that the Ozone thing is good. I like the IK Multimedia stuff because it gives things a kind of a vintage warmth, and they've got their Poltec thing, which is quite good. Um, uh, my favourite EQs are probably, if in terms of analog, my favourite EQ would be G Series SSL because it's like a massive bank of wah-wah pedals that's how i sort of see it and hear it i always go for really tight cue and so that i can hear the frequency i'm sweeping in and trying to find and trying to pinpoint and then i'll back it off once i've found what i'm looking for the other thing sony mixing desks are brilliant the digital eq in there is like razor sharp and it's like you can you can boost almost boost it so it becomes like a tone oscillator and then go in and sweep and it hits against things and causes weird things to happen and you know like where it's like turning the frequency and and resonant or turning the resonance way up on a synth so it self resonates a sony desk will pretty much self resonate it at a very precise frequency so if you've got say like feedback you can eliminate feedback by finding it and taking it out uh, without really yeah, the Sony, the, the Sony sound, Oxford so. is uh, is a legendary. So that's because I, I, it's a it's a full digit. You could do something really cruel to somebody. You could just set up a program where basically all the channels have got tiny little high spikes of harmonics, so that when you turn the monitors up, it just resonates whatever the system noise is and just brings out all these frequencies, <laughs> <laughs> and nobody would know what the hell was going on. That would be an awful thing to do, though. I don't recommend it. Oh, the Euphonics desk is quite good as well, but it's. It, that's about as easy to use as the uh, the analog keys. Oh, is it? I don't know any of the euphonic stuff. Well, uh, the euphonic stuff just has like very few buttons that do lots and lots and lots of different things. And I mean, I do remember walking in Studio Two at Sphere Studios has or had a euphonics desk, or was it Studio Three, Room Three at Sphere? And I went in there and tried to play something on the tried to play back a mix i couldn't even get the bloody master volume turned up I, I was standing there for ages staring at the damn thing trying to work out how to do it and had to go and get somebody to help me just to even get the master <laughs> just route to playback yeah well, that's embarrassing when that happens complicated all these menus and stuff so uh there was another eq i was using uh, nick i was using uh, for years actually the uh focus right liquid mix um mm and various emulations on that which sounded great and i liked it because of that similar thing to what i was mentioning you know if it was if it was the model of a massive passive for instance then it would give you those restricted choices uh, that was mentioning but the thing is i won't use it anymore even though it's still working because i i, I i'm fearful as a discontinued product that it's going to become uh incompatible and uh you know and if i go back to load up a project which i often have to do uh, then it won't work because it won't, you know, it won't be compatible. So, sadly, I, I've, I've stopped using it for that reason, really. But I really like it. Mm, oh, I think that's good. I mean, I think that's an interesting point about about the obsolescence stuff. I mean, I guess that those are emulations of hardware, though, to a degree. But uh, they're maybe. dynamic convolution. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, which is so. Like does any, would anyone course. care to have a crack at explaining what dynamic re dynamic EQ is? Because um, it seems I like the chat room's quite in, quite interested in. Rich, are you are you up for that, or do you want to know too? <laughs> well, I can explain my. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Thank you. Limited understanding of it as I read it. Uh, the best place to go for this description 
is Colin McDowell's website, mcdsp.com, because um, he's got this new active EQ product, and there is a page where he explains it. And I read that page some time ago and said, I want one of those. Um, I as I understand it, you can create an EQ that kicks in g gradually within a certain range according to the way a signal crosses a thir certain threshold in a certain band. So, for example, if you've got a singer who is wonderful but sounds a little bit harsh in the upper mids when you combine like a whole ton of that person's tracks, you can then create a scenario where as that person's voice is getting more brash in the upper registers and at the higher loudness levels of her, of her recording, you can have the EQ uh, decrease the level of the offensive frequency according to the way it crosses a threshold. Ah, okay. So it, it will just... Yes, I see what it is. Almost, isn't that, that's almost a bit like multiband limiting, isn't it? It's almost like that. It is. It is. But you're not actually compressing. I believe you're reducing the level of a certain band of frequencies that you define according to that threshold. So you're not. It's. Hmm. It's a different. It's similar. Yes, it's very similar. But I think, for example, in the case that I described, this would be easier to use than one of those for that purpose. Right. Okay. That sounds well, like a, um, I, Mark? I was going to say, where I can already feel it being useful is in when playing the guitar, because the thing that, the Line 6 stuff for me, tends to have a very flat kind of profile to it, so there's no real change in overall EQ footprint when you play, when you're like palming the guitar or muting it or doing different things, so if it responded to dynamic, and it, obviously the volume of the guitar changes when you're playing it differently. If it responded to dynamic and could do EQ changes that responded to dynamic, it could really bring some expressivity to my guitar sound. So I'd I'm really interested in finding out about, because if it's threshold dependent... That's kind it of, is, be, it, is it not it's, similar it's to side-chaining, like doing side-chaining um, de-essing, that kind of thing? It's, it's a similar kind it must of... You'd need a, a bunch of them. Ah, you'd you'd need a bunch of them to emulate what one of these things will do. Apparently, right. Oh, if I, I understand correctly. I yes. see what you mean. You could conceivably slice it all up yourself and do it in separate bands. Right, but this is all in the plugin, so it makes a lot of sense. Much as a multi-band compressor uh, also sort of takes a behavior you could do outside of that realm and purports to introduce no, it to a single interface. I want to make things more expressive, not less expressive. Well, you can do that too. It doesn't. It'll, in other words, as an EQ, it will also, as I understand it, boost things more. Yeah, you can do as that you as well. Yeah. Threshold, cool. if you I want. Need to go yeah, yeah. Death, it's an interesting idea, and I, I, there, there were some really good um, mastering tutorials. I think they were on. It might have been on the Future Music uh, YouTube channel. If it's sort of like two or three years ago, this guy was doing mastering tutorials, and he showed how he was processing a weaker kick so that when the kick hit the threshold, it put a lump of sort of 20, 30, 40 hertz or whatever in it and really beefed. And it was quite interesting, and it, but it only happened when the kick was poking out of the mix. You know, if there was no kick there, there was no EQ. So those are the sort of, th you know, in mastering, it's it's quite got quite a useful uh, uh, potential as well. Um, just want to give some props to the chat room. A chat room is saying a uh, lot of love for the Ableton EQ, actually, as well. Um, and that's another interesting point, obviously, because some of the EQs that we're getting in DAWs, like, you know, Logic and uh, Ableton and Cubase and all of these, the standard EQs, you know, they're, they're being used a bunch and uh, will have a flavor that people use. I'm engaging the uh, Ableton EQs are being used, uh, particularly in dance music production, certainly software. And that, those EQs are very easy to use, and they're very visual, I, th I find, as well. Um, although I still go back to that whole thing about everything being vanilla. But, you know, that's just my, uh, my underactive imagination. I need a bit of visual stimulation as well. Um, okay, then. Well, uh, thanks for your input there. Uh, I think the other thing that I was interested in was, was this mastering maximizer, which I was going to throw something out, because this sort of raises interesting questions about uh, the notion of, you know, well, what does mixing need to do? Um, here we go. This is uh, this is Precision Maximizer. It's Titan Maximizer, Titan 410X Precision Ma Maximizer by IOX Audio Air. This is available at the Propellhead shop, so it's in the sort of closed wall. But I um, just think there's a demo here. Let's see if I can get this to run. Um, if I play this. 
So these are sort of very much kind of housey type examples. Right, where am I looking here? There we go. I was on auxiliary. So. And, you know, obviously this is a very extreme example, that sort of hardcore, um, overly th- sort of pumping stuff, which we are actually hearing a lot. And it, this, is a, this isn't really a mastering tool, uh, but it's a precision maximizer with a low contour. So it's similar in, in many ways. It seems like it might be quite similar to um, the way that some of that early SPL stuff, remember the SPL used to do two channels of bass enhancement. They were the holy grail. There's what you get when you are doing dance music mixes and what have you. But it just get you know, we're, we're heading into this territory of everything being as loud and as fat as possible. So you could sort of feed a fairly average mix in it as long as the balance is roughly right and just turn up end up with this sort of really hyped sound uh, i'm not sure how good that is shouldn't we all be able to uh, mix stuff a little bit um or is that am i just living in some sort of utopian um, dream world gas you do a lot of mastering <laughs> but would you because uh, sometimes you know it's very tempting to have that one button yeah that sounds great sort of so- solution to things but does it get you anywhere really apart from the same as everybody else <laughs> Well, um, I mean, this does kind of connect to the uh, the news that Andy was talking about yesterday um, with the mastering war being oh, the loudness, yeah, o- over, over uh, which uh, I'm sure, I don't know if that's something that we were going to. Talk I haven't got about, it in but, this time, no. But I mean, no. Can... Uh, but do you know, I mean, mastering for me, mastering is always just, you know, small incremental benefits, really, and, uh, you know, trying to... And, you know, like, for instance, say, in Ozone, the maximizer on there, and especially the IRC3 mode, is so amazing in terms of um, the magic button effect, just for making everything that much louder without seemingly a lot of loss. Um uh, but what's the question again? Sorry. <laughs> uh, I guess really it's, you know, is this sort of thing, I mean, while this undoubtedly makes a more impressive sound uh, to the, you know, in these examples, are we ending up in a kind of scenario where we just don't know how to mix stuff because we just put it all through one of those or, or, or oh, see, equivalents or similar, you know, do, is it, are we in danger? And, and then again, you know, we get this sort of generic, everything's as loud and everything's as hyped um, because everybody can just get one of these or something similar, whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, music has sounded pretty rancid, really, for the last 10 years or so as a, as a result of this. Um, Not this and, plugin, I might add, but <laughs> a general <laughs> tendency. For... Yeah, it's a general tendency and it's, you know, tiresome to listen to and you know go back and listen to like a classic album and and it sounds lovely and you think what is the point of this progression really when it's made everything sound so dreadful um so what i've tried to do when i've been mastering is i've i've been trying to sort of uh inform the people i'm working with a little bit about the dangers of this showing them examples and um doing the, the the classic thing of like taking something that's heavily mastered reducing the volume down and then playing it against something that's kind of unmastered or gently mastered and uh you know and the difference is light and shade you know just sounds you know you can expose the the horribleness you know Uh, i do realize though that a lot of people the average person's ears are just completely adjusted to this sound though this modern sound this horrible everything flat you know snares that go as opposed to crack, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it's really interesting. The the, the Bobcats thing with the, uh, iTunes uh, and the whole kind of development there, which I don't know if we'll have time to cover today, but uh, that's very, very interesting and very, very heartening that there is, some, you know, that Apple have actually backed this new recommendation for loudness guidelines so Mm. you know hopefully we'll see a return to better sound quality well i wonder you know because i mean essentially you know we've all uh, car stereos mobile devices we're all listening to things on headphones and all this stuff is going on 
Isn't that why everything's had to become more mastered? Because we're listening over this background audio rather than sitting down and listening to something in its own thing. I don't know, Rich, you probably have a probably have a, a, an opinion on that. But do you think do you think this is probably one of the reasons why this is happening? Because we're fe- effectively listening in environments where music is not the sole focus or not the only sound. So it has to almost jump out, you know, and in film and in TV, it's like it's got to jump out above the dialogue. and above. You end, We end up with this. So that's, that's part of the reason why. It's not just the sort of, I need to make a single that's going to pop out of the radio so much. I think that's a stunning analysis, Nick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I think that's, that's far more brilliant than anything I could have come up with to try to explain it. Ah, okay. Thank you very much. Seriously. But, but do you, was, but, that was great. But, I, I can't. I can't even add to it. It's so good. But do you think, Rich, that, you know, I mean, the temptation is time is money. You know, you're in the studio. You could do something with EQ and mix and compression and careful balance, or you could slap something across a bus and feed it up under there. Is the temptation to do that rather than just sort of craft it? Um, Well, it's always a balancing act. I mean, some guys believe you do fader rides just like the old days all the way through the song, write it to automation, write it to automation, write it to automation, hit your limiter with that automation. I mean, there's some guys who are really deep that way. I use a combination of techniques. I'm not, for example, above selecting a region, defining it and using a clip gain on it. If I think it'll help that vocal read better at that moment. So I'm not, uh religious shall we say or precious about what's there other than making it clear for the listener and to draw attention to the thing you want their attention drawn to because typically we're mixing some pretty complex things these days and you're trying to draw the listener's attention to a certain thing yeah okay I think that, I mean, I think that's fair enough. I mean, but it's an interesting, it's interesting because like I say, it's again, you know, the, the whole speed and the side of things where you have to, you, it, is it craft or is it just speed? And I think that, that. Well, it's becoming easier and easier for people who don't really know what else to do to just slap these things across a whole bunch of tracks and get a fairly decent or some kind of result that sounds acceptable to them, which sounds typically over compressed to me. And uh, move on. And That's I hear great. this all over people's records. Not yeah. to you, you said? That's what I do. <laughs> do you? But, well, I must admit, I do get, you know, sometimes I, I dig that, the excitement that seems sometimes to Sometimes I across. do too. But it's... It, I, I like the sucking sound of compressors when things are, you know, like really pumping. So I tend to put different compressors on different channels and make them all pump. So actually this plugin probably doesn't appeal to me because it says it eliminates the pumping sound. Yeah, that's and I want to get things <laughs> pumping at different places, but I don't want to have to struggle with the mix after I've done that. So I kind of, I tend to, well, in logic, I'll throw adaptive limiter on absolutely every single track and make it pump a bit. And then it all kind of gels together nicely when you stick that on the master as well it just mm. kind of all glues together i know what you mean adapted limiter is very is, is, it's look ahead though so you can't play through it in real time and that's the big problem there but uh, yeah um uh, for those of you who are into 90s sample music uh, mark saying if i could get things pumping there was an ideal a ideal moment you could have taken in snapshot you take in time and put it over a rock and rap record but you know, there you go, <laughs> Dave Spears. You've been very quiet there. What do you? What do you kind of? How do you feel about this? Because I mean, presumably, when you're designing patches for synths as well, you know, you've got to make things that jump out. It, would, is it not tempting to think, oh, we could just put something across the output that just sort of made it all a bit more? You know, I mean, I'm sure your instruments don't need that, but there must be instances where that must be tempting. Oh, It'd be nice to hear it with, for example. Right. But no, we don't do it, and we don't. Uh, I don't do demos of our stuff with anything like that on because it's kind of it's a misrepresentation in a way. I don't know. I have very mixed feelings on this. You know, when I'm working with certain bands, they love all that pumping, sucking nonsense, and other bands <laughs> are uh, slightly more demure about the whole experience and prefer to be subtle with little tweaks and whatnot. That sounds like a euphemism, and it probably is. But um. I don't know. I think, you know, my sort of concern is that 
It's not a concern. It's just, we know that everything's vying for attention all the time. And like you said, you know, it just has to stuff just has to jump out at you to kind of make you go, oh, what's that? What's that going on over there? Whether it's visual or audio. And I, uh, I'm going through a stage at the minute where I kind of hark back to the more subtle approach, and more of a craft, I think. And I like that. But next week, I could be working with somebody entirely different who wants everything to be completely banging, and then I'll get into that mode. And I do completely see the attraction of hitting those magic buttons and everything starting to saturate and pump like hell. I do see that. I remember in the old days when we had, was it a BBS Maximizer or yeah. something like that? Or oh, says, yeah. Dude, we used that on, like, everything. And I mean, it must yeah. have just fried our ears. At the, you know, you're doing, like, 24-hour studio sessions and coming out with a dance track, you know, ready to go to white label, and you're just like, I don't know whether that's ever going to sound any good now, <laughs> but it sounded great in the last 24 hours. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of why I shy away from it now. Yeah, the excite the, the stuff that's that you put exciters across things. I, I remember the people who were good at it just very, were very sparing and just kind of go, okay, that goes on the kick track and that's where it is, you know. And it just adds that little bit of extra. Particularly, you know, back then a lot of people were in home, well, home recording environments that where you couldn't get the audio quality with any great ease. So you needed to sort of enhance your crappy audio interface or, you know, oh. the fact that your desk was rubbish or you know that your sampler was only eight bit. You know, those are the sort of things I spoke. Whereas now, there's it's not. It's I suppose it's not necessary in terms of enhancement, but it's become the 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 main flavour of the sound. You know, it's that kind of you get the excitement of the club sound system out of your computer speakers, which is kind of what I suppose people are aiming for as well. Which is makes it sound shit on a club sound system, though, doesn't it? That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing when so you it hear sounds these. Great on small speakers, but when you put it in a club, it just sounds kind of muddy and and sort of disinteresting and actually all, you know, the the, the music with lots of dynamics always sounds good in clubs because there's something something happens in the sound system. I think if you squash things too much, you can just run into the, a wall of noise problem, can't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting... Uh, anyway, I mean, the, aside from that, it's, this is also happening in the Propeller Heads uh, sort of uh, rack extension side of these. I know, Dave, you, you're you doing rack extensions or you've done uh, rack extensions. Um, uh, because I'm not a Reason user, I don't really know what's happening. Is it propagating? Is there? Is there... You know, there seems to be quite a decent amount of uh, stuff still coming out for rack extensions. So presumably it's working as a kind of concept and, a, and, a, and that side of things. How's it gone for you? Without, uh... Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've only got one instrument at the minute. There's another one that we've got sort of on the boil. But it's, it's a, you know, it was a fairly new thing when it was designed and, and certainly when it was released, it was all very new and fresh. And there were steps that propeller heads needed to take to, you know, just make stuff better, really. So everybody's been submitting, you know, requests and what they'd like to see. And uh, unfortunately, there are two of ours that don't seem to have made the last two <laughs> SDKs. And I won't, and, and we're kind of at this point where it's like, actually, we've got something that's sort of pretty much ready to roll, but it's not as elegant as I'd like it to be, and it needs to kind of change. Although, uh, that said, one of the people who's worked with us said, actually, but yeah, Reason users are, work, are used to working in a certain way and they will, they will accommodate this. So maybe, you know, that's just our kind of prejudice that's stopping us going, okay, let's, let's get that out. But um, no, it's interesting. And I, I, I like Reason users seem to be just kind of nice people. <laughs> I know it sounds really strange, but actually they seem to be really committed to the platform. You don't seem to have like a gazillion million whinges over every little thing that's submitted. I get to the point where, you know, it's like trying to digest everybody's opinion on everything all the time. It just becomes a little bit much at times, whereas Reason guys seem to be a lot more considered. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I've thought, well, maybe that's just because they're lucky that other people are now developing for, their, for this kind of, you know, isolated platform. But I don't think that's the case at all. For us, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of what we do. Um, I can't really say any more than that. To be honest, Chris deals with most of that. There are headaches involved with developing. Well, I guess any platform, really, which is a specific, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much I can say in terms of the no, NDA, sure. but 
the the three D graphic stuff is is vast and expensive and a bit of a headache. Okay, well, thanks for that bit of a developer insight. Uh, Titan Maximizer, uh, here it is. This is what we were talking about. You can get it for thirty-nine euros, uh, and you could try it. I think in the prop shop you get—I'm uh, not sure how, it la- how long it lasts—but you get a trial period. Uh, that's what it looks like. There's also—it's uh, not anything going on with control. It's just got uh, analog input, uh, sorry, audio input and audio output, and then uh, these various uh, controls on the front. But it does remind me of a, of a sort of BBE stroke SPL kind of look. So. I'm guessing if you uh, maybe if you use it as long as you promise not to use it across everything and make everything too loud, then that's okay. All right. <laughs> not that you should listen to me at all. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> let's see uh, whether we've got time for anything else. I mean, I think pretty much. Uh, ah, yes, Gaz. This is your video. Hey. So, well, I think that's the idea. I'm going to play. I'm gonna play. Ba- basically, Gaz. Um, you posted a video. Remember, I remember you talking about you know, recording in a specific space. And yeah. what I thought about this is I'd play a tiny bit and then you could just tell us a bit about the tech and then we could play out with it because that'll probably take us to the end of the show. Is that all right with everybody? Does that seem like a reasonable uh, reasonable way to do it? I know it got tossed in yeah. at the uh, last minute. <laughs> so um, just just introduce it for us before I press the play button. And, make, and I better make sure I press the right play button, otherwise I'm going to look a right prat. <laughs> it was to do with um, trying to write a piece of music for a f- specific space. So I was, um, you know, I could go into this like church hall, which is quite a large hall, um, about two and a half second decay in there. And I just thought it'd be quite interesting to actually write a piece of music in the room and then sort of film a performance of it. And it's a sort of semi-written, it's a little improvised around it a little bit, but um, I was very influenced by Jean Gillot, this... Uh, uh, French organist who I've talked about on the show before, who, who performs at Saint Eustache Cathedral in um, in Paris. Uh, but I was using my MIDI bass setup, uh, and I was like using different sounds, trying to use like lots of legato and lots of trying to use sounds that I was, and I I, I programmed the sounds, uh, the patch in to the room sound as well. So there's no reverb on the patch that I'm using. All the reverb comes from the the room itself because uh, when i saw jean gillot playing in the cathedral he was he was using the acoustics in such an amazing way so i mean it's nowhere near anywhere near his level but that was that was the the reasoning behind it okay and you're just playing uh your bass guitar through uh midi rig and a couple of uh, speakers right yeah so it's just bass guitar with the midi pickup on gr55 and into uh into my pair of um tc amps yeah Excellent. Um, okay, I'm just trying to think whether or not it might make sense actually to discuss any more of it before playing out, because otherwise it's going to be I'm going to break break the effect, and it might be a bit. So maybe what we should do <laughs> is is say goodbye to everybody, and then we'll play out with it, and then uh, then YouTube can bust me for copyright infringement because I'm playing your video from your channel. How about that? <laughs> that sounds like okay. a plan. <laughs> so uh, well, before we play Gaz's video, which is called uh, the White Flame, is that correct? Yeah, we'll say goodbye to everybody else who's been involved this week. I want to say thank you very much. We'll go to um, Dave Spears. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Your um, your little rays of sunlight have vanished now, so you're just you're alone, yeah, alone in the shadows. <laughs> Dave Spears, thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. And uh, we'll go over to Rich Hilton, who's over there in Connecticut. I'm guessing you're you're going to be snow plowing your way to the studio for a bit of uh, more recording action. I have to uh, hitch up the dogs to the sled. Now, there's an interesting uh, idea. Get to work with the Huskies. (laughs) Mush my way down to Westport. Nice. Well, that sounds like a great adventure. (laughs) I hope you wrap up warm, Rich, and uh, have a good day in the studio. Thank you for joining us. And, of course, there's Mr. Mark Tinley over there, marktinley.co.uk. Thanks for joining us, too. You're very welcome. I, I need to ask loads of questions about this thing that you're about to play of Gaz's, about room modes and measurements and frequencies and things but i guess i'll have to do that <laughs> another time you've uh, totally aroused my curiosity the idea of making anything to suit a space is something i'm really interested in at the moment oh there was not really particularly much um mathematics behind it other than just being in the room and you know writing and setting up the sound in the room really and sort of like listening to the way it sounded and uh Ah, the, the intuitive approach. 
I went and borrowed a laser <laughs> pointer from the uh, local estate agent so I could measure a room here and I've worked out all the standing waves in the room and where to stand and how to what frequencies to play in what places and all that sort of stuff so oh, I've gone to the logical approach to a similar thing maybe we should try doing something together and I'll throw mm. logic at it you can throw intuition and we could see what happened Ah, interesting <laughs> idea. Great. So, Gaz, just Ooh. to you're playing um, MIDI bass there uh, primarily, or are you running uh, um, other? No, it's all the sounds are from the actual the PCM layers on the the GR55, um, which are actually that thing is deep. You know, you can get really into quite a deep level of control with it. Um, a lot of people don't realise that with that with that device, but um, it's probably like the it's a Roland's synth engine maybe 70 isn't it no i think it might it might be the xv is it the xv series uh sounds more likely yeah yeah so um but you can combine it with a with a modeling layer as well uh and also your natural pickups which i haven't got on in this particular example uh so it's mostly just using pcm samples really but because the the way it sounds the bass it sort of takes on um uh, certain characteristics really you know um and the the amplifier as well gives gives it a little bit of uh, an edge as well great well thank you very much gaz uh also want to say thank you again to our sponsors isotope do check out alloy 2 isotope.com forward slash alloy to get your free download and um find that you can't live without it uh, after all this talk of eq and mastering and what have you uh Probably something that is very appropriate for this show. Funny how that works out. Right, and I'm going to play out with a bit of Gaz and uh, his white flame. Thanks for watching.